You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com because good causes deserve better results. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. My job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live Zoom call, and you can join these calls usually on a Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, by registering at nonprofitproblemsolver.com. What really do we know about our donors before they become our donors? What value might there be in thinking rather deeply about that? Today's guest is nonprofit marketing specialist, Maura Fitzpatrick, who has a well-defined process for helping nonprofits identify their ideal donors. Let's find out how that works and what you can do with an ideal donor persona. Welcome, everyone, to Nonprofit Problem Solver. This is the podcast, episode 26. And I'm with my guest, Maura Fitzpatrick. Uh, hello, Maura. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, no, thanks, for so, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, why don't you give us a bit of background about, about you and, and what you do, and then we'll jump straight into the, today's big question, which is, who is my ideal donor? Yes. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Maura Fitzpatrick. I'm based in Philadelphia, and I work with primarily grassroots and startup nonprofits to help them create more strategic messaging to get them uh, more donors, volunteers, whoever they need for their goals. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Now, one one of the reasons uh, I wanted to have you on uh, in full transparency, Maura and I met uh, on the audio app Clubhouse, and uh, we've been hosting a room together uh, every Wednesday called Nonprofit Marketing Clinic, and we're having uh, a good time talking to lots of nonprofits about various marketing uh, elements. But one of the things that really impressed me about um, uh, Mora was uh, this thing that we're talking about today, which is the ideal donor. And um, you've got some resources on your website, a case study, which is super impressive. And I know lots of really large nonprofits, uh, multi-million dollar budget nonprofits that do not have the uh, sort of in-depth uh, insight or not just gone through the process of identifying their ideal donor or, or ideal uh, types um, for uh, identifying, as you said, volunteers, board members, other sorts of supporters. Uh, can you uh, point people to your website? Just tell them a bit about the case studies and where they came from. Because it's a fantastic resource. And obviously, we're going to dive into it in just a moment. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you go to my website and you scroll down to the bottom, uh, there are two examples of case studies of clients I've worked with in the past. One for Historic Westside Gardens in Atlanta, and the other for Fairchild Educational Services in D.C. 
And I, the, the case studies outline pretty much um, the brand statement that we came up with uh, together <laughs> and how to communicate their voice and their tone and how they want to be perceived. And then also what kind of people they want to work with more. Um, and so we created some personas based on their donors, uh, the grant funders that they want to target more and even some service users and how we can close the gap with uh, content marketing. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the basis, the basic layout. And, wh- and what is your website, just so people know? Yes, sorry. Uh, it's morafitzpatrick.com. Yeah, I thought it would be nice and easy, but it's worth, uh, it's worth spelling out. And Mora and Fitzpatrick are spelled in the conventional ways, as is .com. Okay, so uh, let's jump into it. What, what's the value of coming up with something called an ideal donor when, in fact, we know we want dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of, of donors and supporters? Why would we come up with an ideal? I, it just, just sort of walk me through the, the concept of it. So... I think one of the major benefits of thinking about who you're speaking to and targeting an ideal person is that it drives all of the decisions you make, um, whether that be how you structure your website, how you structure an appeal letter or any sort of communications, because we are all different human beings with different preferences and perspectives. And what one message, one message that might appeal to one person does not appeal to another So when you try to target just a generic everybody, you really don't appeal to anybody. And so it's harder to catch the attention of people. And so that's why I create these personas, because we want to find out what's going to catch the attention of specific people we want more of, and how can we uh, answer questions that they might have um, through our communications. Okay, so the pull away out of that is trying to address or appeal to everyone appeals to no one. I think that's, that's, that's getting more widely understood. You can't just sort of scattergun, but um, you're, you're sort of almost going, it's, it, it may appear to the opposite extreme in this idealized single individual donor. Is that not pushing it a bit too far? I personally don't think so because I think especially for fundraising that it's about relationship building and how you can, uh, give generously as well back to donors and how can you build trust with specific people? And if you don't know who you're talking to, then how can you possibly build trust? So I think that when anytime uh, I create a communication piece, I look to my own personas and I think, what would this persona think? So one of my personas name is Charlotte. And I think to myself, what would Charlotte think of this social media post? And if it's something that wouldn't appeal to her, then I don't post it. Um, and so it just kind of keeps you, it's an anchor for how you, what decisions you make, I believe. And I think especially when you're a startup nonprofit, you aren't going to be going viral necessarily. You're not going to have a huge massive donors. It's about building uh, deep and trusting relationships. So you want to make sure that you know who you're talking to. Okay, so social, so social media relationships. I just want to press this f- just a bit further before we go into the, the process of coming up with an with an ideal donor is this question of relationship, and and what that means in this day of social media when most nonprofits are 
using uh, all, you know all the social media platforms in order to try and get their message out and attract other supporters. Clearly, uh, as you and I have, have advised many, they still have to do the one-to-one human connection. But when they're making, uh, as you said, posts or they're thinking of their messaging or even things in emails and letters, um, this idea of relationship using social media, can we can we talk a bit about that and what, what sort of relationships are actually possible or viable in, a, in, in that sort of digital age? You don't really necessarily, uh, you're not having a one-to-one conversation with this ideal donor. You're still projecting to, to a multitude. So how, do, how does that, how do relationships sort of play into that? What should I be thinking as a as a nonprofit leader in terms of my social media strategy from a relationship perspective? Well, I guess I'll push back a little. I don't think, I think you should always be pushing to have a one-on-one relationship or conversation with a donor at some point. I think that's the best way to build trust. And I think that trust is a prerequisite for converting a stranger into a donor that uh, especially when you're a new nonprofit, you um, you look as a high risk investment, and when you have when you build relationships and trust, you lower the risk um, of giving money. And so I I gotcha. guess I am kind of extreme in the sense that I want you to always be trying to create almost friendships with your donors through your messaging, and I think that. Yes, there are some nonprofits who might never ever meet personally a don- person who's donated to them. But when you're a small nonprofit, you probably should be make- making real connections. And so that's kind of what I drive towards because you that's how you build enthusiastic supporters for your cause. And they then advocate um, to their networks and so on and so on. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think that makes sense. Uh, I, I guess we should be clear about the different stages of the donor journey. So that you, you know, you might be uh, thinking of a social media post that is at is is directed at people who don't really know a lot about you or maybe never heard you is one type, uh, and that's when your ideal donor doesn't really know anything. And then there's your later on there's elements where you are building trust, still not a one to one. Uh, relationship as such, but you are not speaking to someone who's never heard you. So there's those different stages as they become more and more familiar to you. Is that is that a fair way of describing it? Yeah. And now that you're saying that, um, I, I just want to clarify. So there, uh, there's this concept called the AIDA concept in marketing, and it's the four stages of a user journey. And that's awareness, interest, desire, and action. And so one of it's essentially a marketing funnel where um, the first thing you have to do is make sure that people even know you exist. And then how do you pique their interest? And then how do you create desire to engage with your organization? And then how do you get them to act, AKA donate? And I think that when you don't have a defined persona, it's really hard to catch the awareness and interest of people um, in that funnel. So for example, when you know who you're talking to, you know where to find them for one. So I, I have seen a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people who say, oh, well, um, we've been posting on Instagram, but no, no one's donating through Instagram. And then I asked them, well, who are your donors or who are your ideal donors? And it's older people. 
who tend to not be on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you have to know, you have to think about where they might spend time and how they would like to engage. So some people are going to be more data-driven and some people are going to be more story-driven. And so that's really how, like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's, yeah. So, so even the ideal donor, one of the virtues of it is even determining which platform you should be using. Yes, exactly. So if you're trying to uh, raise, let's say like someone who's going to give you like $100,000, that person is probably older and farther along in their career. And they, they're probably not on Instagram. I mean, I, I can't assume that. It really depends. But that's not a good place to be putting your efforts a good place to be yeah. putting your efforts is showing up at networking events and hosting fundraisers or getting press or having a website that's professionally done and, and articulates your mission very concisely and shows the data. That would attract someone like that. So you're basically saying when we start with this ideal donor, which yes, I know we're going to get onto in just a moment. When we get one of the, just, just to be clear, it's really at the very, very start of the journey in some respects because it, it dictates all the efforts uh, that you would put into marketing because once you have your ideal, your ideal donor persona, you can ask where that person might be found in, in real life, online, and, and so on, and then develop your marketing approach accordingly. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and then, so it's not just, it's not just about, you know, how you word something on a platform. It's whether you're on the right platform to begin with, are you actually crafting your message in the right way uh, and, and, and all that really. So we're really, really talking about the top of the funnel or the first part of the awareness side is the best view of ideal donor because once they get to that point of action in the funnel and then, of course, with a donor journey, which is very similar to the AIDA, but we add on stewardship or customer care or aftercare, that, that sort of you're speaking to people who've already donated and you actually know who they are. So you, you wouldn't necessarily use the ideal persona in that sense, when you're when you're when you're communicating to your existing donors, is that is that right? Sure, or it inf- it informs you even more, so you can create an even more detailed persona. So you might or might you have multiple personas because you have different different objectives. So you have one persona for your existing donors and how you're going to appeal to them for the end of the year, or try and you know uh, bump up the the monthly donors uh, amount is is one sort of persona. In fact, you might you better have a different persona because you've segmented your donors between the monthlies and the people you're going to, you know, are looking for the annual. And then you have your personas, your new person that you're trying to attract that you direct energy then to the top of the funnel. Yes. Have I got that right? Yeah. I think it's, especially when you're already a little more established and have um, already established like some, somewhat of a donor base, you want to keep certain donors. So it's good to keep it, have a persona of that type of donor. So you know how to keep them. And then there's always going to be someone that you want more of that you don't have yet. And so that persona is how do we engage with that group too and bring that group in. And I also think too that there are just different giving levels um, that you want people who give at a smaller level, but maybe more consistently. And then you want the big fish who give a giant donation once or twice or once a year. Um, And those are very different types of people. Um, Okay. So 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 in the same way that you would segment your donor database, once you have a, a donors and you start to understand them and, and you can think of them in different ways, that's where really this idea of I've got, you know, I want dozens or hundreds or thousands of donors. I can't just com- collapse them all into one, uh, one ideal type. 
what we're what we're really talking about is a, as an ideal donor, an idealized type, almost per campaign or per objective, right? So if you're bringing people into the top of the tunnel, which is top of the funnel, not it is a tunnel, funnel, also tunnel, funnel, funnel, yeah, it, yeah. It, when you're doing that as a startup or really when you're when you're small, don't have a lot of donors. One will do that. Will that's really where your where your effort needs to be. Yes. As you mature, as your donor base expands and grows, you can then start to stratify it into different things. You would also do this for your volunteers, perhaps, and then you can start to really be more sophisticated about who your ideal folks are. Absolutely. Is that, okay. All right. And I also I think, think as someone who's like talks about time management all the time too. I think that you oh, me? Have, <laughs> I think you don't want to have too many personas because especially when you're starting out, you don't have the capacity. Like you're usually a one to two person team. You don't have the capacity to do several marketing campaigns or several different types of people. It's a lot of work just to do one. So hopefully when you can expand on that, you have some extra help on your team. Right. So it's basically your your the sophistication of your marketing efforts. Uh, which you could use as a proxy, the number of ideal types you have, scales with your operation in an appropriate way. So you don't want to get ahead of yourself. Then there's no, there's no need to create all these additional uh, ideal types until you actually have uh, enough donors to segment accordingly and warrant that, that differentiation. Yes. And nonprofit founders love getting ahead of themselves. It's just I, I have no idea what you're mind. talking about. I don't, I don't know what you mean. Don't know what you mean at all. Okay, so <laughs> um, speaking of getting ahead, we w- w- what I was w- was really excited about hearing um, um, was your your process around identifying the type. Because uh, just to refer again, the case studies on your website, morafitzpatrick.com, Mora and Fitzpatrick, spelled in the conventional way, uh, is are are great because they have I, I think a really rich piece of information to show the power of what an ideal type can be. Um, and so I want to spend most of the rest of our time talking about how you get there. What does that look like? And I know there's uh, a lot of detailed questions and assessment, and this is just give a flavor of it. Um, but uh, I think it's a really powerful thing to do, particularly for anyone who needs to refresh their marketing uh, if you're established. And clearly, if you're starting out or small, how you get people... Uh, attracted and into that initial uh, awareness stage of your uh, of the of your donor journey. Yeah. So the first question that I would usually ask is, "What is your top goal or organizational goal for that year?" And usually, that's a project that they want to complete. So, um, depending on the project that you're pitching or want to fund, I think that informs what kind of donor you want. So. Um, that is the first question I ask. And then the second question is once we kind of know what kind of donor, what giving level we want, we're going to start honing in on uh, the personality or the demographics of that type of donor. So uh, what might their first name be? Where do they live? What do they do for work? What's their family status? Just trying to kind of get a big picture of what this person might be like. What are some adjectives that describe their personality? What are things they really care about? Um, what's their education level, et cetera? And then we move into talking more deeply about what their dreams and goals are in life. Um, and that doesn't even have to be re- related to 
donating to your organization, just really thinking about where being in this person's shoes and what they're trying to achieve in life. So for example, sometimes a lot a common uh, dream or goal that a donor type might have is uh, building a legacy or sending the ladder back down, passing on the torch. Um, so, uh, and then let me pause because I feel like I'm rambling at this point, but no, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just listening. I'm soaking it all in. Yeah. Um, another thing too is, I, I mean, there's just so many different dreams and goals people can have because there's, we're all super different. What I have for what I dream for my life might be very different from yours. Um, and then the next thing I think about is what are the obstacles that get in the way of that person achieving those dreams and goals? Um, and once again, there's like a lot of different ways that people can struggle to build a legacy or to feel like they have a work-life balance or whatever that might be. And then the last thing we think about is how can our organization, quote unquote, like empower them to get over those obstacles? What can we do to make it easier for them to engage with us considering their dreams and goals and what gets in the way for them? Um, so we can go more specifically into that yeah. in one example. Yeah, no, I think examples are examples are great. Let me just uh, see if I can summarize. So you start with the, what is it you're trying to achieve this year? What is the, in other words, what is the project campaign uh, more specific than just starting at the funnel and getting awareness? Like what, what do we want to uh, um, achieve by bringing this, this person down a donor journey and hopefully making a contribution? And then uh, when you start to identify the person, you're looking at initially just those sort of socio-demographic census characteristics uh, and then where they live, what sort of role they play in the community, maybe what profession, what income level. And then beyond that, you start to get what would seem to be very individualized. And I think where, where people would struggle again, where we started at the very top of this conversation was like, how can a, a single person represent this, this uh, whole uh, body of people that we want to attract? But what you're getting at is while it might seem personal, it's also to a certain extent universal in what I want to achieve in my life, why I might be motivated to give, what barriers there are after me achieving uh, those goals in life, and really almost not thinking anything about the organization or the impact or the mission of the organization, nothing to do with the organization at all. We're, we're focusing entirely on this hypothetical, idealized person as a as potential donor yep. i got that right yes and i would say too that even though it can seem very individualized there are lots of types of people that are similar to that persona so for example in the psychographic session section um one thing i ask is is the person extroverted or introverted are they chatty do they like uh connecting with people are they a maven in the community like what kind of person are there? And you can, I think you can think of many different people who would meet this criteria of being either like super connective, chatty, uh, like philanthropic mavens or more introverted, like one-on-ones, uh, quiet leaders. Um, so it's kind of like you start pushing towards like an arch, an archetype, archetype. Archetype. Yeah. And then, so what, so when we, when we start to understand, for example, their, their motivations, their, their fears, their, the barriers, and then elements of their personality, like extroversion, introversion, and that sort of stuff. 
what are we what are we getting at? I mean, we can we can get into a lot of detail, but there, what's the purpose? How will we actually use that information? Or am I jumping the gun? Am I getting ahead of myself? Like, no, said, I think no, no. I don't think you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> I think like so. For example, um, a common user persona type that uh, clients will go towards are the super connective, chatty, philanthropic mavens in the community. People who just like are just always in the know who love going to parties and networking events and love um, the idea of being a mentor to somebody. Um, and some of the ways that we can uh, support that person and like support their personality and support their uh, desires is I think one offering them an opportunity to host a fundraiser. Um, these are the kind of people who love having like parties at their house and feeling like they're, helping push the needle forward of an organization and making more connections. Um, another one is just showcasing other leaders and influencers in the community that support your nonprofit to signal to someone like this, that this is a place that are getting involved with our organization will connect you with even more people. So that's like another example of how you could um, support uh, a person like that. On the other hand, if you're maybe a little more introverted and you're not like a super chatty connective person that maybe you have money to give or I don't know um and ways that we can support is warm one-on-one attention so having coffee dates um different chats or just like zoom chats is another common example I think that those people tend to really like having options for quiet support so not being recognized necessarily in like a donor um Mm -hmm. email Um, So just thinking about how that person would want to engage and feel most comfortable engaging with your organization. And it's, is it, it's, it's also true that when it, when it actually comes to that happening, although we're, you know, we're, we're doing, we're at the idealized stage, we're still planning our campaign and, and, and how we're going to, uh, we haven't even decided where these people are are online and offline and in real life yet, yet. but it still remains the, the, the case that when it comes to, genuinely culting the, cultivating these people prior to a gift, we are going to speak to them one-to-one and we are going to tailor what we do according to their needs. So there will be someone who wants to host a big fundraising party and there will be someone who wants to have a quiet cup of coffee at the back of the cafe and, and just say, hey, I really want to support your cause. Here's, do you mind if I do an anonymous check? That, you, know, the, you, you get those people from, in a sense, the same don't that's possible from the same idealized type because you you change your uh, approach to to making the ask and and that level of engagement according to the actual individual. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so again, I'm just trying to clarify where this notion of ideal donor fits in the overall process, and it's really at this beginning point of how we decide. Our, our tactics of where they are, how we're going to reach them, and then what sort of messaging we're going to kick off with. That's, yes. that's really where we're talking about in this, in this case, yeah? Yes, it's foundational work. It's what, you do bef- it's what you do that gives you the roadmap for everything else you do. I like to think of my work as not the execution, but the blueprint so that you know how to execute. And I think oftentimes I can remember when I started a nonprofit years ago and I didn't know any of this, 
that I often felt like I didn't know what to do next. I felt so overwhelmed with, oh, there's so many things I could do, but I don't even know what the right next step is. And doing exercises like this gives you a very clear roadmap of what's the next best step um, and what you need to focus your focus on. And you have limited funds. So what's more important, uh, putting money into a website or putting money into marketing ads, or it depends, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, the, the point here is that, as, as you said, and we've seen uh, lots of people on, on our clubhouse room who, who are saying, I've been unsuccessful or not as successful as I would like uh, in, in uh, my messaging and in reaching out to people and I can't find people, but they've not done this foundational work. And uh, we sort of, sort of point them in that direction, don't we? Yes, we do. And I think the other thing that I want to bring up too is that these exercises help you to start thinking of the don't like putting yourself in the donor's shoes. Um, and there's this really great book called Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, and it totally transformed my mindset about how we communicate with people. But essentially, we're all the heroes in our own minds, in our own lives. Um, and oftentimes, nonprofits will position themselves as the hero of the day, that they're saving the day for other people. But really, um, the people that we engage with should be positioned as the hero and us instead as the guide that helps them save the day for themselves. And so that could be with the service users and even with the donors, that our donors are our heroes and we help them get to where they need to be um, instead of the other way around. And when you frame it like that, you appeal to a lot more people. Okay. So... um Let's just let's just catch up where we are. So before we get into the messaging, we're still we were where I think where we <laughs> got off track. Typically, my fault here again. Trying to summarize uh, and then running <laughs> running off in another direction. So apologies for that. That's we um, we we got to a point where you were talking about the introversion or extroversion, and we we're trying to decide who who we've got here. Like, what is their personality type? So, okay, so that's where we are. What's, what's, the, what's the next step from there? Okay, so wait, I thought that we went through, okay. You're saying that we're backing up to when we talked about the demographics and the psychographics or? So we got, yeah, we, so we were, we were following that, that path of, we did the demographics, then we asked them, you know, what they're trying to uh, achieve in their life. And then we talked about the barriers and then we were talking about their personality type. So that's how far we've got. Then, then, then what do we do? Are we nearly done with our ideal type? Yeah. So the next, the last part of the quadrant that uh, we go through is how can, I hate this word, but how can we empower them? So what, and that was kind of, we were touching on it a little bit, but what are the, things that we can do to make engaging with us, help them get towards their dreams and goals. Um, what can we do to make engaging with us easier for them considering what roadblocks they might have? Um, so like I said, uh, someone, let's say there's a user persona type who's a very like ROI focused person, very data driven, something that uh, we could answer to empower them, I guess, is making sure that it's very easy and accessible to get to the impact statistics and the financial transparency of our programs. That would be one, if this person has to go looking for that, then you've already lost them. Um, so um, in, in, you might, 
however you communicated, you might say, um, okay, here's a, here's where you could find the data. If you want to, you want to look at it. Yeah. Or, um, if this, like, you know, this person might not have a lot of time and might, if, especially if they're a very wealthy person, they might get asked to fund to donate a lot. And so if they are spending time on your website, for example, it better be well-organized and structured and clear. And mm-hmm. it better be super easy to find your annual report or any other um, information that shows that lowers the risk of their investment, I guess you could say. Yeah. And you, and you, would, you would also, I guess, think about uh, how you present that information at various levels. So there's a really, really high level, uh, simplified presentation. And then if they want more, they go to another level of detail. And then if they want more, they can go to another level of detail. So it's there, but you're not giving them a 68-page PDF to download with find table seven with the, <laughs> with the, with the expenditures. To, you know, they haven't got to go digging for it. it. The answers are there at the level of detail that they find appropriate. So they can sort of drive that agenda themselves. Yeah, because like, one of their like goals is to save time. So how, what, in what ways can we help them save time when engaging with us, I guess would be the answer. So there's many different ways, right? So yeah, you wouldn't want to make them have to like go find tables and feel like they're back in the Dewey decimal system. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, and then also too, just like even how you portray like the, in the design aspect, you know, some people are going to really like super colorful images and like, graphics that are like just more decorative whereas other people are going to like something that feels way more professional and corporate so that also depends on what kind of person you're targeting um if you're targeting like a fun loving soccer mom she's not going to mind i don't think i think corporate look would turn her off whereas if you're looking for the super roi focused like millionaire maybe a more corporate look would turn him on right Right. And you, you just make, again, because as idealized type, you're making certain assumptions, but you're not, you're not restricting your donor pool to people who match that exactly. This is a tool to create initial uh, tactics about where you think you might find people who will be motivated in this way. Uh, and in a sense, the, the, the sort of census criteria, this is the uh, sort of age and gender and uh, all the other things about the, the, the person uh, are really just a representative uh, of what we're really getting for, which is the emotional side, because we're trying to make that emotional connection in the way that we reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, I think that's important because people can look at a donor type and they say, oh, um, I'm not sure my donor, my ideal donor, you know, looks like that or not, or that's not the only way my donor looks, not the only age or gender or race or what have you. And, and really those, that's just a, in a sense, a, 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 a container for the emotional components, which are, what are their goals in life? What are their barriers to reaching the goals? And what are the ways that we can interact with them that, that are consistent with those? How can we, how can we uh, touch this person in some emotional way? Yes. Okay. So we get our ideal type. That's great. It's lovely. It looks very similar to the case studies you have on your website. And then <laughs> what do we do with this campaign? Then we then start to ask, well, so we've, we've got our end product in a sense, our idealized type. 
what are all the things that we can do with it or what would be the next thing that we, we do with it? So the first thing I do is I, I ask where these people spend time, these kind of people spend time. So for example, like we had said earlier, you wouldn't focus your efforts on post making a content campaign for Instagram if your target persona is someone who's maybe older and doesn't really use social media that way or that certain social media platform. Um, so once you can figure out where they might be spending time or where their eyes might be, then you can start creating uh content that is relevant to those platforms. And then in terms of what kind of content you post, and the next thing I think about is what are some com- what are some questions they might need answered when they look at your content? Um, so commonly it'll be like, is this, is this nonprofit legitimate? Are they credible? And how do we, what are some ways that our content can prove credibility? Um, another one could be, is this nonprofit, uh, equitable? Oh, that's a common question we have, especially nowadays. Or do they promote diversity? Do, are they progressive? What, how can we answer that with our content? So that's kind of how we start brainstorming what kind of messaging or what kind of pieces of content we might create. Another one to go ahead Kev. So I, no, I was just going to jump in there to summarize again, and sort of pull out a takeaway here. You've got uh, your. You've gone from a sense, I think, which is uh, you, you've shifted gears here from the the general side of of their emotions and their thinking about giving generally, and now you're plugging in your own organization. Yes. And 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 almost again, you're standing in their shoes, but they they've gone from the general the general issue of why would i give what would i try to aim from giving or what would i try to achieve by giving and so on to why would i give to this specific specific organization and then trying to preempt or think about what sort of questions would be going through their mind consciously or unconsciously of of is this are we in an organization that they might wish to be associated with so for example do we do we have particular, do we project particular values? Is that something they would want to care about? Are we serving a particular client group? Is that something they want to care about? Are we doing, you know, whatever, again, these sort of questions that, that trying to think like, what is, what's important for them to have in place before they would give to an organization? Exactly. You're the summary king. I'm trying to, yeah, trying to <laughs> encapsulate all the learning here that, you know, from, from uh, you, the expert, so I can sort of, A, understand it myself, and then it's easy for, for people listening to um, make sure that they've, they've heard it twice. Once from really you, and then it, once I, from my sort of, I think, if I got it this right, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm learning here. Because <laughs> we're I'm trying to solve the problem, too. right? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you always like kind of condensing it down. It's funny enough, my messaging sometimes needs work as well. But uh it's true. Yeah. We all do it. We're all too close to our, <laughs> our own thoughts. Yeah. No, yes. uh, no question about that. Okay. So then you, yes. you, 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 you go to the specific questions trying to preempt, and then you're in that point of actual content creation. You've decided where they, where they hang out, where, how to reach them, whether it's in real life or on social media. And let's just take a social media example um, and you know, pick a platform that you're comfortable with. Just playing out this example, uh, let's assume it's one again for simplicity's sake. Uh, and 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 then what? 
let's assume it's one like one platform you're saying yeah yeah just just for simplicity um yeah so like let's assume it's instagram and let's assume that the person we're targeting is maybe a younger audience like a millennial audience um i so i i brainstorm all the different questions that they might have like i said and then from under each question, I brainstorm all the different ways that we can answer that question and creative, how the creative ways that we can answer that question. So for example, um, there, I tip, there's typically four different types of content. Um, there's uh, inspirational content, there's educational content, uh, entertaining content, and more connective content. So the inspirational is, it's validating, it kind of sh- validates your world, your point of world, you um it makes you feel like motivated to act the educational is it just simply educates you on an issue kind of and i feel like that's a really good way of establishing trust and legitimacy in what you're doing and then entertaining is mostly can it make you laugh is it relatable and connective is does it show what kind of community supports this organization does it show the type of people that interact with this organization. So I try to answer every question with, I try to use every bucket to answer each question as a creative exercise. And then I post them on Instagram and I see how they perform. And typically a lot of accounts will pick, mostly pick two buckets or their audience will uh, engage with two different buckets. And now you know, like, okay, this audience really loves inspirational posts and educational posts. Um, yeah. Okay. So, again, let me try and summarize. There are four types of posts. Uh, once you've preempted, brainstormed all the questions you think your ideal donor might be asking, for each one of those questions, you try and provide some sort of answer or response or reassurance using uh, one of four types of post, inspirational, educational, entertaining, or connective. Yes. And then once you start, uh, you, you presumably you don't just bombard Instagram with uh, you have all four types all the same time, answering all the questions as often as you can. You've got to have, how, how, how do you decide what to post first? You just sort of, is it sort of, is it sort of a lot of gut feel here and, and guesswork? It is gut feel, but mostly the first one is how can we build credibility and trust? I think that's like always something that everyone wants to know. So there are a lot of organizations where they post content and I just don't, I don't know if they know what they're talking about. And I want proof that they're the experts in what they're dealing with because a lot of nonprofit, there's a lot of nonprofits in the same space. So why should I support yours versus others? Why are okay. you the expert? Why are you so the authority? So you and so you lead with that authority. Is that the yeah. education post? The yes, education, education and testimonials establish authority okay. typically. Right, and then so you so you you take you think the 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 most common questions that your donor is going to have, and you post educational content to a, to answer those. That would be where you start. Yes. And, and then what would be the, what's the next after education? Do you go for uh, having a laugh and a joke entertaining or you try and connect them and see, do they resonate with the people you're already connected to, the community you're building, or do you try to inspire them with your fantastic mission statement? 
I think that's just gut feeling at that point. Um, I think it's just, I tried to, so I would suggest posting four times a week, three to four times a week. And I wouldn't, I would just uh, sprinkle them out in sparse amounts and wait and see how they perform. So I wouldn't do two educational posts in a row. I would do an educational post and then it really doesn't matter, an inspirational post or an entertaining post. And then at the end of each week, you see, okay, what, what performed the best? And you try to refine that, which, whichever post performed the best, even if it's like something nominal, like one post had like two profile visits while the other had five. It's a little bit of information for you to know that, okay, like this post, this educational post piqued the interest of people a little more than the other one. So let's, uh, how can we replicate that in next week's content? Okay. So you, so you're looking at then in terms of performance, it's not, it's likes and shares, but you want to uh, track how many people have gone to visit your profile, uh, maybe how many people have gone to visit your website and they've come from Instagram uh, and, and using those tracking metrics to see what, what is prompting people to take some sort of action. Yeah. And this can get really deep. And so stop me. Yeah. This is a, that's another conversation I know uh, about the you know, like tracking you metrics about, and calls to action and all those things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you have to think about your funnel. So like, what's the point of Instagram? It's not just to build trust necessarily, but it's to funnel people to your website, to the link you have. So the point is, is like, are my posts funneling people to my website? If they're not, then they're not being successful and you need to refine and rethink how you're communicating. Um, it's not just to post for the sake of posting. And I think a lot of people do that because I think there's this kind of misconception that in order to be a legitimate business, you just have to, you have to have a website for the sake of having, I mean, you should have a website, but not just for the sake of having a website or you should have serve a purpose. Yes. There has to be a purpose to it. It's not just to be a legit business or a legit nonprofit. Um, So like, it's just being intentional about what you're doing and making sure you're tracking how things perform. And that's why it's like, it's hard when you're a one person team, because that's just, you're already dealing with the, the programming as well. Like, it's a lot of work. It's very it, difficult. It so I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But yeah. But having that, but having that focus on the idealized person in that whole cycle. So for example, if you're, if you're, if your campaign, your purpose is around attracting donors, when they get to your website, it should look like it's a site for people who might be interested in donating. Yeah. It shouldn't be it shouldn't be a site, say, looking at partners or trying to attract participants in your program because your donor who's come from a post on Instagram is gonna look well, I'm not it just creates friction in that in that process. Yes. If your donor is your number one target audience, which often they are. But yes. Right. Okay, so let's round this off. Uh, so we've, we've, we've run our course of time. This has been fantastic and really, really insightful. Lots of things that people can uh, take away and, um, and, and learn. I'm sure people will be reviewing their own sort of processes and, and sites. But the last thing, the last question, and I, I don't know that there's necessarily a quick answer to this, but when you are looking at the performance of your, uh, of your reach out based on your ideal uh, uh, ideal donor or ideal type. How do you separate the performance? Is is it based on your social media attempts, or have you possibly mistyped your ideal donor? How do you distinguish where the error might be? And what I guess I'm trying to say is, uh, 
you you want to be focusing on improving your social media there, not going back and refining your ideal type over and over and over again because you'll never get off the starting block. And again, I think that's a another common problem that we see is that is that trying to get everything perfect when in fact you, you just got to work with what you've got. Yeah. So I would say that, and th- this happens to me as well. Has happened to me as well, but. You, you type up a, a persona and you start creating content based on that persona and it's just not performing the way you, you think it should. Um, and that to me is a sign that you maybe don't know the persona that you're targeting as well as you think you do. Okay. That you might be kind of creating something a little too fictional. And so my suggestion for that is to reach out to people who you think fit into that persona and just have a talk with them, get to know them, um, interview them, find out what they really care about and get a better idea. And then as you start do- succeeding and getting more donors and connecting with more people, you're going to get a lot better idea of like, this is what people really care about. These are common questions people have for me. Um, and you can define, you can refine your persona and therefore refine your content. Okay, so that that's, that rounds it off beautifully because we're basically back to a genuine human connection, which is really what it's all about. And and the ideal, the idealized uh, archetype is a is a tool to help focus your efforts because you you can't reach everybody. So you use this as a tool to um, help direct your uh, your energy and your effort and evaluate accordingly. Excellent. Marketing is a, is all about relationship building. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, no, I think that's that's great. That's cleared up a lot of uh I think potential confusion around what what an ideal type could be. Uh and so I want to thank you, uh Maura Fitzpatrick's been my guest. This has been episode twenty six of the nonprofit problem solver podcast. And we will see you again on uh, the next show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. I was speaking to Maura Fitzpatrick, who you can find on LinkedIn, Instagram, and at her website, maurafitzpatrick.com. And we do a clubhouse room together called the Nonprofit Marketing Clinic, currently every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio. Find him at podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results.